0: I have for you today an incredibly heartfelt conversation with Tom Vazo, the first ever CEO of Homeboy Industries, the largest gang rehabilitation and reentry program in the world. Tom has written an incredibly touching and inspiring book called The Homeboy Way, A Radical Approach to Business and Life. That shares his perspective as well as personal transformation and going from being a high-powered CEO in corporate America, where he helped grow a company from $50 million to $300 million to over a billion dollars in revenue, to then experiencing a seminal moment that led him to being, as he says, not just a nonprofit CEO of a human services agency, but more importantly a participant in the fight to bring resources and help to those on the margins of our society. What I found so moving about Tom's book, as well as our conversation, was not just the inherent inspiration that I felt from his work with Father Greg and the homies at Homeboy, and what has resulted from that, But the profound feeling that comes from witnessing this man have one perspective on the way life should be and how business should be run to flipping the script and having a completely different perspective on life that gave him more meaning, depth, depth of connection, and hope. It's what is possible for every single human being on this planet. None of us have to be stuck in our way of thinking about ourselves or about the world. Never, ever. Again, Tom's book is titled The Homeboy Way, A Radical Approach to Business and Life, and it is now available for purchase, and it is highly important for me to note that though it is not surprising, (laughs) coming from this volunteer turned unpaid CEO of Homeboy, that all proceeds from his book go to benefiting Homeboy Industries programs. So your purchase will not only enrich you, but it will enrich the lives of the folks you'll be inspired to help after listening to this interview. So without further ado, here is Tom Vazo. Hi, Tom. Hi, hey, Jesse. How are you today? Doing well, thank you. Awesome. Um, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It is truly, um, after after reading your book and going through your experience of life, because it really kind of feels like we kind of go through this arc of a lot of um, your own evolution, your own uh, spiritual evolution, your own business evolution. I really feel like I have gotten to know you. And so it's nice to actually be <laughs> Well, face to face, or as everyone listening, you know, um, really get to uh, have this moment to be with you. And I'm sure, you know, in your very full life of things that you're constantly working on for Homeboy, I really appreciate you taking the time to join me.
1: Well, thank you for having me. And interesting how you say that because in my book, the hardest part of it, writing it was actually talking more about myself. But as we'll say in a bit, the book is about Homeboy and what I've learned. But, but, some of that is about writing about myself and how I've thought about things and really yeah. just sort of exposing myself was some of the hardest part of, of the writing.
0: Interesting. Wow. That's, that's amazing. Well, thank you so much for doing so, because honestly, Tom, for my listeners, I, th- you know, they'll really kind of connect to what I'm saying here, but because you did come from your personal experience and did include your own journey a little bit in there, Um, To me, what that what it illustrates is the arc of the human experience when we allow ourselves to evolve, which is really quite a natural process of of um, the spiritual nature of life when we don't get in our own way and to see your evolution throughout the book from, you know, as you say, going from corporate America to a new calling, as you say, in the first chapter Um, It's really stunning. And there's this parallel between um, your own evolution of coming home to yourself and what that, what the, um, uh, you know, what the implications of that were as far as your involvement with Homeboy and kind of coming from a more heart centered place, soul centered place. Really, there's a parallel to that to what you are doing at Homeboy, what the space you are providing, you and Father Greg are providing at Homeboy that you're really creating this space for people to go home to themselves and then see what comes from there, how that changes your life. So um, it's it's really quite stunning. And I really can't wait for people to get their hands on it because it's so, so inspiring and so hopeful. Um, so let's get to you chatting. Um, sure. I would love for you to share a bit about uh, your journey, kind of, you know, it's almost like a summed-up chapter one. But can you share a little bit with my audience about your journey from, as you say, going from corporate America to this new calling in your life? Yeah,
1: yeah I'm more than willing to. And, and just uh, just reflect upon what you were just saying. And it's, um, you know, I, I always I see myself as uh, well. First of all, being so fortunate to have these two chapters of my life and to be working with people on the margins of our society and learning so much. And I see myself as the uh, I have my, I'm an eyewitness to what's happening there, and and what I'm trying to do is translate that back to the world I have come from, so that so more people can expo- be exposed to the good work that Homeboy does, and and Homeboy Industries is a nonprofit organization founded over 30 years ago. We help former felons and gang members change their life around. Started as a jobs program. Father Greg Boyle started as his first stop as a Jesuit priest epicenter of gang violence was Dolores' mission, his parish, wanted to get young men out of gang life, hit upon this simple notion, if you give them a job where they can make enough money for food and shelter, they're not going to go running with the gang for food and shelter. They're going to move their life forward in a positive way. And so fast forward all these years later, it's, it's a much larger organization. At the time when I joined, it was an $11 million organization helping uh, former uh, gang members and felons. And and I wanted to frame it up that way. And I'll now move to my background because all, all my background, I would have never have thought about hiring a felon or, or being around gang members. It just, just wasn't in the, the space I was at. And so to me, this is this contrast of... Being right in that in that homeboy community and allows you to reflect back upon my life along the way. So, uh, uh, so I, I start really before homeboy. I worked at a large corporation. I ran a 1.8 billion dollar uh, set of businesses, for Aramark Corporation. I was the executive vice president of a 13 billion dollar organization. I say the billion just to emphasize we were a large multinational corporation. With all the resources and what's typical in a, in a corporation. Um, so I, you know, I started, came out of graduate school, started a mail order company, sort of worked my way up. I was acquired by Aramark. and, and all along I was succeeding because I understood the rules of the game of business. And through my own merits and my own hard work and ability, I was sort of moving up the corporate ladder. And um, and thankfully, as I was doing that, the corporation was investing into me. They were sending me to different schools to learn more techniques and knowledge. and I had an executive coaching. I had all the psychological testing. I had all the prodding. I had all the what it was. Make to, you know, because clearly, corp- corporate America understands if you invest in the leadership of your corporation, you know, they're, they're going to lead well and they're going to do well in the marketplace. So, um, so here I was with a guy with all that toolkit. And live, working in, in corporate America, doing well, but there was always this something that sort of nagged me a little bit. What I, for me, what I love about companies and a well-run company that's good for our society is one that has a succeeds in the marketplace, has a product and service people want to buy from, but also a place where people want to work. It's a, and that people can frontline workers can make their life dreams come true via their job. Right, and so we were that f- at my corporation as well. But in the rules of corporate America along the way, there's, there's a hierarchy, you know, uh, shareholder value comes first, employees and people come second. And most of the time you can kind of keep those in parallel and working, but there's times where it just doesn't play out. And at the end of the day, you have to lay people off and have people lose their job because you're trying to make your earnings target. And when that happened to me in the 2008 recession, I go into a long story of this in the book,
0: and it's I, I fantastic, my, by the way. It's fantastic.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was my seminal moment is I, I realized there's got to be a different way of, of helping people, not having them be so expendable uh, in our society. All right. So Airmark was uh we we're doing well. It was a public company and then private. And when private equity guys purchased us, we all had these four years of golden handcuffs. And and I knew then that after those four years, I wanted to do something different in my life, a different chapter. By the way, I, lo- I love my 26 years in corporate America. I don't regret it. I made a lot of friends, did well. Uh, but boy, i got to say now these nine years uh, Homeboy Industries has taught me a great deal that something different. And so I showed up at Homeboy. A friend of mine asked me, a friend of mine who's on the board of Salvation Army with me, asked me to come on the board of Homeboy. Uh, I met with him at the Homegirl Cafe, which is downtown Los Angeles, and had this nice lunch, and as I'm sitting there eating, and he's asking me about getting getting me involved, I'm looking around, looking at the folks who are working here, thinking, "Oh, I would have never hired any of these people." And they got their head down, they're working hard, they're smiling with each other, they're attentive, and, and as the more my friend was saying, you know, there's something special going on, I'm starting to realize that maybe there is. And so, when he asked me to get involved, um, I said. Sure, I've done board work, but let me see if I can put my business skills to use in a different way. And, uh, and then from there, I started volunteering at Homeboy.
0: Wow. I have to take you back a couple of steps because there's this quote I wanted to to share from the, from the uh, I believe we're in Chapter 1. No, I think this is Chapter 2. But you said, this is you going from corporate to homeboy. Okay. You share, did did faith play a part in my decision? I believe so. It was faith, not in the spiritual sense, and this is the part I underlined, but the faith in taking a step in a direction that felt like taking a step in the dark, but feeling comforted that it would be okay. That makes me teary, even saying it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> can you yeah.
0: can you share a little bit about that? Just even what whatever bubbles up, even if it's yeah. Just-
1: no, I mean, look, like so as you as you read that again, it's like I, the, the emotion waves over me, right? Because I can, I can look back now with great clarity as to wow, that was almost by providence. I sort of took this step to work at a nonprofit, but um, it took faith, and I, I want to take it from two angles. One is when so I started volunteering. At Homeboy, and a couple months later, Father Greg, the founder, asked me to come on board and be the first CEO because he had run it. And at the time, Homeboy was going through a financial crunch, and so the board was putting pressure on, and, and all those reasons. And um, and so when he asked me to come on board, I'm thinking, well, what do I know about <laughs> running a nonprofit? I don't know anything. I know I run organizations. I can see I can see how I was how things were kind of going off kilter a little bit, but you know well, I don't know anything about helping men get out of gang life and life of crime and substance abuse and all those things. Uh, and so, but the chance to be around Father Greg was too hard to pass pass up, to say the truth, right? And but at the same time, though, being the, the, the type of guy I am, the corporate guy I am, always planning. So um, I called my network of friends and asked, boy, if I did this stint, business friends, if I did this stint at Homeboy for a little bit of time, Will I be spoiled goods? Will I be able to be hired back into corporate America for the for-profit world? And unfortunately, what they said it was, "Ah, yeah. Once you do nonprofit work, you people think you've lost your edge, and you're not going to get hired again in, the, in that high-end private equity. They're going to get. They, they want a hard-charging CEO, right? And so it really then was a decision point. What do I do? And it seems so clear now, but I mean, so but. But it was just that little bit of time I was volunteering with Homeboy and just being in the Homeboy culture of watching men and women change their life and seeing how they uh, interact with me. And, and we were part of like one this one community. So, OK, I mean, it doesn't make sense for me to make this move, but I, I take that leap of faith and, and joined in. Now, further on down the line, i learned a lot more about my own faith, my own spirituality, but that was more of a, a gut decision. What do I do? You know, yeah. and that's
0: how that one played out. Wow. It's just so stunning because I share a lot on this podcast um, about what that looks like for when you follow a deeper sense of purpose or even a deeper knowing when to your brain it's kind of confusing. <laughs> like, how right. is it, how can this be the right move? Like, like you said, you you're out there hearing from all of your, you know, kind of vetted mentors and friendships that you know that you can lean into for for you know people that you suppose can see 20 steps ahead for you you know cuz when you're in That's it right. you kind of can't see That's straight right. and for them all to have the same opinion and yet there was still something inside of you that was like no i'm still going to move forward in this direction
1: yeah this- and listen so this is, and i'm only saying i put my story up because i want other people to do the same as well right and so and and just uh, trying to handle this carefully Look, I'm a, I'm a older white male, right? And yeah, homeboy is a 90% people of color uh, for, for sure. And so here I was coming into a leadership position and had all those sort of, I had all those trepidations. It's like go, whoa, it's, uh, this is not my community. How do I really fit in? And all those things, this is a whole other aspect to that. But the point is of having to make that decision to move into a community that you're not very familiar with takes a leap of faith. But I'm here to tell everybody it works out well. (laughs) Do it.
0: (laughs) And this is why you're on this podcast, Tom, (laughs) because truly that's the more stories we can hear in this way where, you know, you know, the more that we can be storytellers of our own lives seriously and share where these types of instincts can lead us is what's so inspiring and blows the lid off of possibility for people and what they can Mm -hmm. do to contribute to the world and community.
1: Very much true.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to go on to, I have this, I have also, I have, I have two quotes that I think kind of go hand in hand and then I want you to chime in. Okay. Okay. This is more about going into, um, this is from your chapter, corporate guy meets a different kind of environment. And I love this because this feels like kind of like your learning process of going from corporate into, into you know into the nonprofit field. But I love that these are just such huge humanity lessons that I love that you talk about. So here we go. And in this in this first quote here, you said, "Let me see where I want to start it." I'm going to read just this short paragraph. I had thought that my biggest challenge was to quote unquote, root out insubordination in general, but it was really to manage through a murky balance. Let the insubordination of the trainees go while holding the management team to a higher level of accountability and professionalism. This insight caused me to manage the team with two perspectives in mind. And this is, I think, what's huge for people to understand. Of those who were in the process of reclaiming dignity at work, and of those who were stuck in their own frustrations and resentments, whoa, I mean, that is having a deeper understanding of humanity and who you of who you are managing. Um, let me see if I can get this 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 other quote in before I hear have you chime in. It was an eye-opening experience that the individual was more important than the financial health of the organization. This excited my inner sense of right. That voice inside of me told me to lean in and learn. So I would love to hear you just kind of share more on what, to me, that's you kind of flipping the script in your mind of how to be a leader. You know, I'm sure there's, of course, lots of things that you learned from your corporate past that you implemented. Of course, I'm not taking anything away from that. But it sounds to me like your leadership style and skills and awareness really kind of shifted. Uh, can you share more about that?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, <clears throat> so think about it this way. And anybody who's worked in a larger corporation, and, and I referred to this earlier, you know, like the, in, the, in the corporate world, there are these rules to live by, you know, rules of thumb that what it takes to succeed and, and how do you go about it? And, um, you know, and, and, some of them are pretty like, you know, point is like in a corporation, what you do for, you have to set precedent, what you do for one person you have to do for another, cause you don't want to be accused of bias and in, in that type of, of that ilk. So here I was at homeboy, I, I, I come in, um, uh, Greg asked me to be the CEO. Um, so, I'm now the CEO, and I'm, and Homeboy is about think about what we're the quote unquote business model when we're here about helping people transform their life. They've all been victims of complex trauma, right? And so, as people go through the Homeboy program and transform that pain uh, into something more positive, and they become resilient and they can leave Homeboy and take on what the world throws at them, right? And so, when I first came in, I mean, it was sort of an awareness of knowing of of being comfortable in my own skin about not, I didn't feel the need to change anything. Look, the mission was great at home. Boy, what was not working at early on was the running out of money, the management team struggling, you know, the strategy wasn't all in place and those stuff that's typical of any organization that, that kind of, you know, had enough experience to work my way through. But the key part was how do you kind of blend that with the culture of the organization where it's about the individual person? And so there are many times and we would sit in meetings and we have what's called council where you sit at a meeting and the group of the leaders, they would talk about how to help a, a individual person. And we spend like 45 minutes talking to an individual person, the struggles that they're having, what happened on the weekend, what happened with their gang member, what happened with, the, with their child being taken with DCSF, all those things. And then we'd come up with a plan. They came up with a plan of how do you help? And oftentimes, as I'm sitting and listening, and I just wanted to sit in because I wanted to get a sense for the organization. As I'm listening to them talk these through, I'm thinking to myself, in my head, I'm thinking, oh, this is what I would do. I would do X, Y, and Z. And it turns out <laughs> they went to be A, B, and C with a totally different approach than what I would have taken instinctually. So that way, by half the time. And so i sort of realizing to pay more attention because, look, I mean, we're, we help people who have second gen, third generation gang members, victims of such complex trauma that no human can withstand that. And yet some of our folks get through it and they become happy with themselves. So how do I tie those two quotes together is, is the recognition that helping an individual is the most important thing. And so you don't worry about company president precedent. So if you came to me and you would, or a homeboy, you, you needed $400 because you were late on your rent payment and you didn't want your gas to be shut off, we would give you the money. You know, corporations, don't do that. non don't do that. We would give you the money. Money makes a difference for people who are poor. Someone may come to us tomorrow and ask for $300, and although we know their story, we don't think, well, you don't really need it. So we would say no to that person. So it's the willingness to kind of do what you got to do, go that extra and let them help the individual, which was the big tell to me. And that's what makes Homeboy so successful. Now, how that ties together to the to the first quote is that as an organization, you know, you, if your organization, if your mission is so people-driven and um, with, this, with just abandon and whatever it is that you're helping people, you also, sometimes that influence the management team and the management team starts thinking, well, they can break all the rules and do what they got to do but as a manager you got to wear two hats you got to wear your functional hat you got to wear your uh, mission hat you got to be able to balance it and so part of this is recognizing and then the third point i want to say is to have a, a successful organization your management team needs to look like your frontline employees so for homeboy our management team needs to look like our clients we need to have that amount of diversity and so nowadays we have over 50 percent of our staff people lived experience people who are former clients and this is what i kind of talk about in the book is like to do it's easy to say it's easy for any corporation to say it, how do you do it and homeboy has a way of doing it it's like you have to overinvest. you have to sort of say people have never really had any job else in their life you're going to teach them all these skills and they they're not going to know the the unwritten rules of company behavior and so they're going to make mistakes and so we can't have other people wagging their finger. You made a mistake, you're going to pay for it. We'd have to, have to sort of have a little bit of forgiveness along the way. And I want to bring one last point to the quote insubordination. And that's the, you started the quote with the insubordination. And that's sort of, it was sort of struck me early on. There was a lot of insubordination. And so I come in with all the hubris of a corporate executive saying, I know what to do, I, I, I can figure it out. Right? And all of a sudden, people aren't doing what I'm asking them to do. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, what's this about? Right. And so, uh, and there was this good little story. One of our navigators, a mentor, uh, Gary, uh, was given a speech at home where we have a morning meeting, and he was given a speech, and he was trying to impart wisdom upon newer trainees. Our clients are called trainees, newer trainees coming in. And um, in, his, in his speech, he was talking about the, how he didn't humble himself coming in. He was frustrated, he was angry, and he was trying to get the newer folks to be more humble. Because, you know, when they come in, we help we help them with all sorts of services, but essentially, you know, they earn their pay by washing windows and sweeping floors along the way. Anyway, so Gary's telling the story that when he first came in, Jose was his navigator. And Jose asked, hey, hey Gary, there's some trash over in the corner. Can you go pick it up? And Gary quickly snaps back and says, you saw first, you pick it up. Right? And he didn't do it with a laugh. He did it like with anger. Right. And that's what Gary was trying to come kind of point across and and so insubordination happens but what i come to learn is what's behind that insubordination and, and they don't judge people by their behaviors trying to figure it out did he have some baby mama trauma did his parole officer call him that night before to give him hassles did he did his homie and his gang get get shot and he's in the hospital our folks have so much trauma they're dealing with so many challenges that yeah it's, it's not they're not always sort of Well centered for their workspace, and that's okay because they're here to form relationships and heal. And so, to me, the big thing is not to judge people by their behaviors, but really to get behind that, right? And so, so we can say this, and we can believe in it. But then I'm also saying to my senior staff who are from the outside world, who have all those advantages and learnings of what the code of conduct is, I'm saying, whoa, 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 but you got to show up every day. And there's there's a level of standard here that your behavior, I'm going to ask you what's going on, but I'm still going to hold you to a higher level of behavior. You have to kind of hold that. And that's the friction I was referring to. In yes.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And to kind of pull that full circle for anybody who's in any organization or company or, I mean, honestly, this is just a human to human thing. Something I remember Father Greg saying in our interview last season was uh, th- that uh, something a homie had actually Coined the term and he uses it over and over as what's the thorn underneath that's creating Mm -hmm. the behavior, right? I'm sure you've heard him say that. What's the thorn underneath? That's right. And uh, I think what you're saying is hugely impactful for leaders of any field, people who are even interacting with humans just in life, which is all of us. Of starting to take behavior for a grain of salt and having more of an eye or a deeper listening for what is underneath it. So we can have more uh, understanding, right?
1: Absolutely. Look at back to my corporate. I was one of those hard charging CEOs. It's like I would say, I don't care what your problem is. You're gonna you're gonna show up, you're gonna get X, Y, and Z done, right? And that's that's the way it is in the those corporate worlds and so many people. But yet now I'm learning, well, hmm, how I'm, maybe I wasn't so empathetic. Maybe I should have understood. Stood it more, or sort of giving more space, more latitude, um, and that's one of the learnings you you would I would definitely take back. To, not that I'm going back to the for-profit sector, but that's one of those learnings you everybody needs to know about.
0: Well, that's exactly what I was thinking. I, I, this isn't even on my list of questions for you for today, but that was kind of what was bubbling in me as you were sharing. As I thought, and this is an opportunity for anybody listening who's in who's in the position that can take this potentially into the more corporate world. It it sounds to me like it probably takes a little bit of courage and uh, commitment to to want to show up as a more compassionate leader. But it sounds to me like if you could go back, that you would take a little bit of that compassion and kinship with you to see what would happen in your leadership skills.
1: Oh yeah, without a doubt. And and deep in my gut, I know it's the right thing to do. And um, and you're right. For someone to do it for the first time, it takes a little bit of. uh, it, It is a little risky, but to be in some ways you just want to be declarative and say i'm going to view start viewing things differently and 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 work with people.
0: Wow. Yes. And wasn't that even a little sorry to go back a little bit mm-hmm. but that was a little bit of the of your that moment that made you want that made you kind of shift into i don't know if corporate america is fitting for me anymore during that during that recession wasn't that a little bit of kind of the pinging that was happening inside of you already because you were being asked to you know, be more committed to shareholders as opposed to the your employees, and that was what was already kind of pinging in you that that was off.
1: Oh yeah, to- totally. And in that moment in the 2008, is we had a, a lay more people, the third round of layoffs, and we were still a very profitable company. So to me, we we're doing this third round of layoffs just so we can meet a financial target, so we can keep our fiscal reputations in place for Wall Street, right? I get it. I, those are the rules. I signed up and those are the rules I was living by. But it's like, I knew to make my financial targets, I had to lay off people who've been with the company for over 20 years and they've they they they've committed to the company. And so where was our societal pack to keep them employed? And in the end of the day, making those numbers doesn't mean a hill of beans difference on the long-term value of a corporation. So I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this, this, this can't be, this can't be right. But it's the Hey, it's the rules that are in that world. And I'm just, now what I'm saying is, come on, let's shine a light. We can live by different rules and go about it in a different way.
0: Yes. I mean, that's the whole point of this book, right?
1: right.
0: <laughs> it's to try what, to- what are the
1: rules to break? The yeah. Way,
0: right? yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I have this next section. This is a little bit of a pivot on the subject. I'm going to your, your chapter of how generosity and gratitude make a way for grace. And I love this, this paragraph, you say, the poor are less likely to pretend to be virtuous while the middle and upper classes skillfully disguise their problems behind a facade of self-righteousness. As our folks struggle to change their lives, struggle to heal, struggle to come to terms with their own self-doubts and errors with the barriers of society, they surrender and don't prioritize the accumulation of wealth. They can find joy living simply in kinship with one another. Wowzers! Mm. So, uh, I just—is—is uh, is there anything that bubbles inside of you to share more about yeah. that?
1: Yeah, just try to bring more light to that. You know, at my time at Homeboy. Um, you know, when I first came in as a volunteer, uh, <clears throat> Father Greg, when we were chatting and oftentimes talk about what's going on. And, and, um, and I, and he was talking about volunteering and I use this line for a lot of volunteers who come into Homeboy as well, because we're blessed with a lot of people helping us because we need it. But, you know, we're, we're not really broken, but just I say, we're not broken. We do a lot of things wrong every day. We don't answer the phones quick enough. Our coffee may be cold. We're serving all that stuff, but you know what we do every day really well as we do the mission and we help people. Right? and so for volunteers, come in and just see how you fit in. So Greg said, "Come on, just just come on in, see how you fit in, be part of the community." And again, I had all the hubris of a corporate executive, and so I thought that was oh, that was a nice statement to make. I'm thinking to myself, but I'm <laughs> looking back saying that was an insightful statement to make. And so, how's that play forward? I along the way, I would observe, I just the the generosity and the authenticity of our folks are just pretty amazing compared to all my other little spaces and worlds and networks I've been a part of. And, and I, and, and sort of, i see myself as just the, I view life as typically what a lot of mainstream, I guess America would think about. Right. And, and if you never spent time working with people who are poor, you're not going to have any insights, but yet those folks I've come to learn are generous to the last dollar. I mean, they'll, we, I, we have seen, I've seen guys take the last $3 out of their pocket to give it to somebody who needs money for food. And, and it's like, and, and the generosity is ongoing and endless. Cause I, and I think people back and back to the, where the quote is, there's not a lot of pretense. You know, there's not just like desire to accumulate wealth. Now do all that want to be, have more money, make life easier? Absolutely. So don't though I don't want mis- to be confused. People don't like being poor, right? But, but there's this aspect of sense of community, sense of we're all in this together, poor people all in this together. There's a generosity of spirit that just is magnitude higher than than any of the worlds I came from. And and you know more on the um, it's more on the spiritual religious side. I mean, so when, when people talk about, you know. Uh, God and and the preachings of working with the poor. I think that's what it is because there's just, there's there's no there's no pretense. There's a more of accepting this. So there's a higher power. There's a spirit out there, and which comes about. And so, being a homeboy, you you see it every day. And I just you sometimes just got to pause, open up your eyes and heart, and just let it soak in because it will it will change you for sure.
0: Yeah. You bring up when you say pausing, you know, I remember I read at some point in the book that you shared that that this experience of working within Homeboy has made you slow down just in life. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, and um I don't know if would you consider that an outside-in experience that because it's kind of something that you witnessed that was modeled for you, or is there maybe it's a mix of both, or is there a sense from the inside out that there's a sense inside of you that you wanted to slow down to really take in what was going on and, and take in life a bit? What, what, was, what, what was that about?
1: Yeah, no, no, no. It, it's, um, I think what, what, what I learned is to, uh, for well, I, it's, I started by because to help, truly help people, I learned a homeboy. You know, I'm, I, I learned this from the model there is that to form relationships with people right? Relationships, not transactional relationships, but like a relationship. And you don't do that so quickly. So in the corporate world, you know, you could be, you could have business friends, and you're, in, you see somebody in the hallway, and you sit and chat for you know 10 seconds, but in your mind, you got like five other things going on in your brain, you're and, and you move forward, right? It's more platonic on the surface. Um, but a homeboy? No, it's it's deep relationships, you sit there and, you, and, and talk to people. So I guess what helped me recognize that we're in the business of helping people, so you got to do that work. You actually got to slow it down and be a part of it. And and, and we, a homeboy, we absorb the management team, absorbs the pain and the drama that's happening in people's lives, so we can help them through it. And and you have to kind of, as a management person, you got to a little bit uh, dig deeper. And so you're absorbing the tears and the and the struggles and the hardships, but also you're you're enjoying. You're absorbing the laughter and the kinship. And I I also talk about this, you know, in the corporate world, it's like, you know, you know, while there may be humor, you know, at the beginning of a business meeting, there's humor. It's, you know, over the top self-deprecating, <laughs> <Christ>. <laughs> <laughs> so, right? But a homeboy, like I, my first couple of months, I still think about this. I said, there's a lot of humor, a lot of laughter going on around here. I'm thinking, well, we're not being serious about work. <laughs> That's the, my, my corporate right But in fact, it's it's... It's genuine humor, to twinkle in people's eyes, to sort of just be in, making fun of each other in a, in a nice way is an opening type of thing that you can only get that by slowing down and absorbing and and just pausing. And say, I have, to, I, I I do have time to laugh today, right? I do have time to take that hug in. And my experience at Homeboy led started with that, but then also to understand in my own spiritual growth and my own path is to open yourself up to the everyday graces of God. And that happens at home boy. And so it just, you got to slow it down and sort of live each day for what it is. Cause every one of our folks live each, each day as, as they can. Uh, in, and, and that I've tried to model that as well.
0: You know, you you reminded me of the section where you talked about how you weren't much of a hugger before
1: mm-hmm, and how you right. said
0: it's a skill that you're still getting, you're still getting better at.
1: Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, and in fact, uh, yeah, so I corporate America, you live by the rules. Don't hug people. You never know if you get misinterpreted. You don't hug people. You don't hug people. Yeah, I was not a hugger. And then you come into Homeboy, and it's like, oh my gosh, you can't stop hugging people. And they and they, and, and it, fe- I honestly, it feels good to be hugged. I mean, it's like I know there's a lot of psychiatrists out there, psychologists. They they'll quote the research, and they do. It just feels good to be in kinship and and, and hugs. And and so even a guy with all my corporate layers. Ex- armor on it just slowly peels away and peels away. And yeah, hugging's good. Now in the COVID world, we've had to stop hugging, but we're close to coming back to hugging. <laughs> That's
0: good. Sometimes we have to go to the extremes to learn some respect levels and then go back to mm-hmm. how to keep yeah, it yeah. with that in there, right? <laughs> For sure. For sure. Um, okay, so I'm gonna go in a little bit to kind of um uh, a little bit of a more of a practical practical angle here. And then actual same chapter from where I just uh, read from the how generosity and gratitude make a way for grace. You say, um, you talk about, uh, you shared how skewed our government spending is in supporting organizations like Homeboy. And to quote you, you say, we need to stop leading from the top down with pronouncements and be willing to take risks on new approaches. Mm -hmm. So, what is that? What is your experience of that? That that you're fine? I'm, there's a whole juicy chapter about it. So I can't wait for people to read it in detail. But uh, share a little bit about your experience with that because it was quite stunning when I read it. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> you
1: know, t- my goal in writing this book is the is to bring my eyewitness uh, lens to what happened to Homeboy and how. It can help people in their personal life and their personal growth, as well as corporations, how to how to do things differently. Like, but but the some sub-purpose is sometimes I get angry that there's, I see the struggles of the poor. And so it, I talk about these these two Americas, America you and I live in, and America of the poor. And I just see the struggles where people who are poor and homeless and without food, they want to do the right thing. They want to go about it. But there's so many hurdles that are set up. Um, that stops them from doing it. And so uh, my message is it takes action. You got to think about it differently. You know, the poverty rate in America has been the same for 45 years. So let's pick our heads up and say, let's do something in a different way. And and by the way, homeboy has been on the front lines of working with people who are poor. They've been on the front lines of these issues of racial inequality, systemized injustice, systemized inequality, economic inequality. And there is a different way of going about it. And, you know, got, I'm a big believer in businesses. I'm a capitalist, so business can do it differently. But government needs to do it differently. And here in our L.A. County, L.A. County thinks they can help. They know how to help people move their life forward. And, and you know, L.A. County has a $24 billion budget, uh, $5 billion for sheriffs and probation and jails and and it's hard for us to get county funds to do the work we're doing uh, along the way. And so, you know, Homeboy Industries, we're a $30 million nonprofit, of which uh, uh, 95% is privately funded through donors or our businesses, 5% for government, right? And so my point is, it's we have to shake up the system. We, we You know, it's it's like back in the, I tell the story in the book about Sheriff Lee Baca, where uh, we had we we're having... Father Greg and I were having lunch with him at the Homegirl Cafe, and now I'm, I'm sitting there with like a business guy. I'm pitching hard. I'm showing all we do. I'm giving our statistics and something that Greg would never talk about in the statistics, but that's why I'm there to kind of show all those things. And, and Sheriff Baca picks his head up and says, Tom, I understand what you're doing, but you know what? We do all that within my jail system. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, that guy thinks that people who are incarcerated are are." He's doing all the same programs. And, you know, it's like Greg's at this line. you got to be free to choose to be free. As a, as, a, as a person who's going to sort of all, what we're about is helping people heal from their trauma. We have a lot of mental health therapists. We have a lot of DV classes. There's no way our folks are going to talk, tell their stories in front of a, a sheriff's officer. So it's like, come on, folks. We have, there's a different way of going about it. And there's enough money in our world. We kind of can do it in a different way. And that's that's probably what I'm trying to get across
0: yeah can you share do you remember off the top of your head the recidivism of of homeboy because it's oh it's, yeah
1: for sure yeah work. yeah so for homeboy industries we um, a number of years ago uh there was an independently funded study by ucla uh we have a 30 percent recidivism that means going back into the jail system and the new charge two years after being part of our program our 30 percent compares really favorably to the statewide average of 70 percent which is just, we're over two times better. And by the way, we have serious violent offenders. So in the state, what average is nonviolent crimes and ours isn't. So it's like, there's a different, you know, there's so many ways you can view homeboy as successful. And, and so the frustration is, so why is it that we have this aspect in our, in our government of, they got to do it their way. And it's always this top, top down approach. Uh, and and you know just, I'll, I'll go on to tell another story so it's this top-down approach and what gets me frustrated because we've worked hard to get people lived experience in very responsible positions right and oftentimes when we try to contract with the county you can't have somebody on the contract who has a felony on the record i'm thinking well, wait a minute half our management team have felonies on the record and, and that's why we're good about helping people get out of that that lifestyle and so we have to ask for different, different, um, exclusions in that. So it's like those top-down decisions need to be made and changed along the way.
0: Yes. And then actually, I was going to say, my next question is tell us about reverse cherry picking. I think it's a perfect moment for you to share that. What, what father Greg had said.
1: Uh, yeah, for, for sure. Um, what we're here to do is help people who are, you know, it's a, there's two criteria to be part of homeboy industries. Right? And, um, and you know, 8,000 people come through our door every year. We have a paid program where at, at any one time we have about 350 people on our payroll. And essentially, this, I'll get to in a second, but essentially we pay people to help help so they can heal. So two thirds of the day, they're going to their therapist, their DV counselor, their GED teacher. One third of the day, they're sweeping floors and washing windows. And eventually then they rotate into our social enterprise businesses, our bakery our cafe or electronic recycling business. All right. so. Um, a lot of folks want to become part of Homeboy Industries. We interview about 15, 10 to fifteen people a week, uh, and uh, to interview it means uh, you, have tested, uh, to drug, drug, you have tested to be drug drug you tested to be drug free. Um, and so, um, and, you know, I oft, as often as possible, I'm in the interview committee, selection committee, we call, it, and it, it is a bunch of us share this uh, responsibility. And, but essentially, you have to be have been a former felon. Or have been incarcerated, and you have to be involved in a gang. And really, the interview—we're not looking for those least like least likely to succeed. Well, we're not looking for those most likely to succeed. We're looking for those least likely to succeed. We do the reverse cherry picking because, some ways, we know there's another program in the county that if you're if you're pretty stable, uh, you think we think you can make it with another program. Fine, go to them. If you're have no support system. Don't have housing, don't have obviously don't have a job, don't have family support. Yeah, really don't have clothes for your on your back. And and we think we're we're going to help you, and we're going to figure out a way of helping you. And so, uh, because we have so many private funders, and thankfully we have generous donors, we don't have to worry about having the best. That's the irony of it. What we're just talking about. We don't have to worry about having the best statistics of outcomes. Like you do in a government program, they have to show eighty percent success or whatever their number is. Because we don't have to worry about getting those eighty percent, we're not worried about creaming the crop and taking the easiest to work with. We're, we're we're working with the hardest to work with. The irony is our results are just as good as anybody else's, even though we're taking the hardest of the hard cases. And, and believe me, we're taking cases of of people that county programs don't want to work with. I mean, there's, there's stigma around gang members, stigma around the violence of their crime, and yet. You walk, Jesse, if you walk through Homeboy Industries, you would just see a, a, an environment where just people are, are happy, content, there's a positive vibe to the place.
0: Yes. Well, and I, I've, I've, you know, when I had Father Greg on, I, because I had actually met him and had a meeting in Homeboy. And when I first opened, when I first opened up our interview, I was back into the whole feeling that I felt when I first walked in there. And I was really teary-eyed because that was... Mm-hmm. I literally, after I went in there, had my meeting with Father Greg, had my tour and went back out to my car. I had to sit there and just cry for probably a half an hour. I could not drive because I was so deeply moved. It was, you know, every single person and and you describe it beautifully in the book, the the amount of eye contact being seen.
1: That's right. Being seen. um,
0: Yes. You know, the love is palpable. You could cut it with a knife. It's unbelievable. The amount of respect and love and deep appreciation and compassion and understanding that is just in the air. You know, I walked in the, I walked in and like you describe in the book it was a madhouse. It was like, you know, it was like beautiful chaos. Yes. It was like Times Square in this tiny space. And yet somebody called me out and said, Jesse, as if they'd known me for 10 years because they knew I was coming in. And, you know, I mean, I know I probably stood out like a thumb also, you know, sore thumb also (laughs) being a green eyed blonde person. But still Mm. it's like, I know that that wasn't unique. I know that that is what, is built into the culture of Homeboy, and it's absolutely magnificent.
1: Yeah, and 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 why uh, uh, Greg does a lot of um, speaking around the nation and writes he writes his books as well is to shine a, a light on what Homeboy's back to a light on this notion that there's goodness in everybody. There's God goodness, goodness in everybody. There's no bad people and no evil people. There's only good people, right? Yes. And at Homeboy, it's so easy to see that. It's so easy to see
0: that. So easy. It's unbelievable. Okay. Only have a few questions left, but I one I wanted you to to share with everybody is tell us about what exquisite mutuality means.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's a tough one to define, but you can feel it. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's one of those things you can when you when you're in it, you feel it, you see it.
0: Yeah. Uh, and you mentioned we, it a few times throughout the book. So that's why I wanted you to share yeah, it. It's just even being
1: you... in uh, the word mutual, being in mutual kinship with people uh, in a really authentic, um, authentic, I authentic, real um, way. Uh, the squizziness is the, is sort of the, uh, I almost want to say like a higher level of, of perfect neutrality of and and what makes it exquisite is that it happens and I'm just going to take your story here. It happens just then that moment that they one of the homies called Jesse and say, "Come on, you know it's it's your time to be here it's your time to go see G, right?" And it, it can happen just with, with a hug. It can happen with someone telling their story. Yeah, look, I just got a text message um, from one from our, one of our homegirls uh been with us for a couple of years she works on electronic recycling and she sent me the copy of her it, it was she passed her uh, ged exam and she's 45 years old and she was so ecstatic and she wanted to share it with me right and it just it just you know could i would i have done that would, would that have happened in any other way with any of the set of employees but it happens here because People just feel like we're we're part of this one family, and it's always about being in a positive, upbeat vibe with each other along the way. So just the mutualness is about all—it's about mutualness. It's tender, tender mutualness, exquisite mutualness, and wow. that's what it's about.
0: Stunning. It makes me think of this quote that I'm I'm uh, blanking on on who originally said it, but um, that we are all a wave in the ocean made of the
1: ocean <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: right right and that sounds that's more like it, a yeah that, know, that's what it is. Right. That is we're, all,
1: we're all part of this one humanity and and we're here to, and to slow down open up your eyes experience for the moment don't always keep planning for tomorrow At the same time though we who have the resources should bring our talents and skills and resources to help people who are poor because it's it should be intolerable that we have so many poor people in our society. Yes. We can do better, and and there's also ways of, of making that happen.
0: Yes, yes, yes. All right, I've got two more for you, Tom. Sure. What have you learned from the homies?
1: You know, I learned I, there's so so many things. I've, I've learned. I I, I, I want to go deeper into one of them, but I've, I learned to be more generous more available with my time, more just sitting there and not telling people what to do, just be part of the a part of it. Right. But the other thing I've, i learned, uh, I really have learned to really uh, my a deeper faith in my in God and a deeper faith in my a deeper aspect of my spiritual journey. And and so why, why did I learn that? Because you know early on at Homeboy, I you know people stand up in the morning meetings and talk about an affirmation or message of the day, and how they have you know people in second, third year of recovery or six months of recovery, how they found their own they found God and helped God, God helped them through. And so I knew I was in this mo- this organization that had you know deeply soaked in spirituality. And I thought, well, that's nice. I always you know I'm a churchgoer. It's it's good for you know it all fit. But I, but after a while, I started realizing, oh, some of these folks have much deeper understanding than I do, and and it, it was my friends and I, and here's a story. My friends and I do a lot of uh, trail hiking here in the Santa Monica mountains. And every now and then we do a bigger hike. And, and so um, we plan to hike Mount Whitney in central California. And and uh, so a couple of my friends who, who know me well and know homeboy well, we then plan let's do this hike. And so we had six of our homeboys and six of us and we climbed Mount Whitney in central California. And for your listeners, it's a 14,000 foot peak. So it's a, <laughs> it's a pretty strenuous hike to do. And so I remember on the way home after we did our hike and, you know, it was all sorts of good, you know, you know more there as a team and bonding and, and chatting. I remember way on, on the way home as on the driving home, um, my friend and I, Dave are driving and, and a couple of our guys in the back and Dave, my friend, Dave brings up uh, a Bible passage and starts talking about it. Uh, prodigal son. Right. And, um, and so Dave talks, and I'm listening, you know, I've got my understanding up, and all of a sudden, Jose and Robert start talking about it. And it's almost like head-turning for me. It's like, oh my God, they have a way deeper understanding of their own, of God, their own spirituality, at least, the, you know, the, Christian, the tr- Christian tradition, what we're listening to, than I do. I'm thinking, well, in some ways, it's like, Tom, you better start paying a little bit more attention along the way, and go learn, and go be a part of it along the way. And that's, so I learned most from our from the homies is to, to follow my own path,
0: my own spiritual path. Stunning. That's incredible. And something that I really appreciate, too, that you mentioned in the book and Father Greg mentioned it, too, is that when you talk about God, it's not a, a, a singular God. It's not a specific God. It's not a you know that it's what does God mean to you and how does that move you forward? And I think that's, that's right. beautiful. that's right. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. Okay. Final question. And Tom, I end every interview with this for every single person. And it's wonderful because the the answer is always different. So whatever, however you interpret it, you can interpret it spiritually, practically, you know, emotionally, whatever bubbles up first. Tom, what moves you? (laughs) What
1: moves me, um, it sounds like, uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm going to say, it, but it sounds like I'm giving you a cliche or I'm giving you a, sort of some sales pitch about Homeboy, but boy, it's so true. What moves me is being with people and, and seeing God's goodness in everybody. And it's hard to see God's goodness all the time in everybody. But what moves me is when that happens. That's the when you open your eyes up, you see that in those moments of grace. That's what moves me, and and to be part of this homeboy community, I, I feel so grateful. And uh, and I also want to say though, it, it doesn't just happen in homeboy. It can happen anywhere. You don't you all don't have to be a homeboy like I am. Anybody can kind of move to the margin, move to the people on the margin of our society, and be in kinship with them. And once you do that, you'll you'll understand what I say because you'll be moved as well.
0: Well, I know that that came straight from your soul because it made me misty eyed. So thank you so much for a really <laughs> yeah. beautiful, honest answer, right. Tom vazo Thank you so much. Your book is the Homeboy Way, and uh, can you tell us when that will be released?
1: It's released uh, uh, the twenty second of February.
0: Incredible. So yeah. amazing so it's, so
1: it's on amazon it's on the homeboy website uh, it's 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 all about the story of homeboy a little bit about me but what we all can do in life to help people
0: yes and it's a beautiful beautiful read and if anybody is interested in donating in wanting to kind of be involved in that kind of way how would they do go about doing that
1: right our website homeboyindustries.org and there's a lot of content on there you also could see a lot of our videos of thoughts of the day you hear our people talk about their stories and and on and again we're 90% self-funded so all donations are welcome
0: yes wonderful thank you so much tom this has thank been you. a really beautiful interview thank you so much for connecting with me on a really heart to heart level i really appreciate it
1: thank you very much
0: yes have a wonderful rest of your day you too okay bye bye Thank you for listening to What Moves You with Jesse. Let's stay connected. You can find more ideas and strategies on being human on my Instagram, at What Moves You with Jesse. Sign up for my newsletter or learn more about working with me at whatmovvesyouwithjesie.com, and please rate and review the show and let us know what you think and what resonated. I read every single review. They mean so much to me. You can also call in on our hotline with your thoughts on what resonated there too. It is always live at 818-646-JESS. That's 818-646-JESS. What Moves You with Jesse is produced by Mike McGraw and Tinker City Music. Now, let's take a deep breath and give ourselves permission to live in this moment. Are what truly moves you.